0: Well, let me uh, share with you some thoughts that we're not too certain about. Like, why do they put Braille on the drive through ATMs? I'm not sure about that one. How do they get the deer to cross at those yellow road signs? Really? Okay. Here's one. Why do they sterilize needles for lethal injections? I don't know. And what do you do when you see an endangered animal eating an endangered plant? Why do they lock gas station bathrooms? Are they afraid somebody's going to clean them? (laughs) And here's one I've been pondering for years. If the police arrest a mime, do they tell him he has the right to remain silent? You can let that one roll around your brain for the rest of the day. <laughs> All right, enough nonsense. We're talking about uncertainty today, obviously. Did you notice we missed one? Where? Where's where? What? That's probably part of that. that was on purpose. You know, it's like, who's on first? In a book on leadership, Andy Stanley writes this, Uncertainty is not your enemy. Uncertainty provides you with job security. (laughs) The goal is not to eradicate uncertainty, but rather to navigate it. That's what Jonathan did. Let's review the the scripture we're using for this passage, for this uh, series. Um, King Saul, Israel's first king, had just done a big boo-boo. He abused his authority and uh, tried to do the priestly duty of blessing the army before they went into this big war. He got called out on it, and now he's sitting with his entire army under the pomegranate tree doing nothing. He's kind of stuck. Well, his son, Jonathan, wakes up in the middle of the night, doesn't tell anybody but his armor bearer. He takes his armor bearer with him, and uh, they go up to take on this Philistine army, they go to the outpost and they're going to take it over and not really certain about what's going to happen well let's talk about this uncertainty thing what did samuel what did uh, jonathan have that uh, a lot of us don't have a lot of us struggle with first of all we all need to know that god relates to us on a need to know basis a need to know basis you would think what we need in order to have great faith is certainty. But if we knew what was to come, why would we need faith, right? On the other hand, if we don't go after what could be a divine moment simply because we don't have certainty about the future, well, we would be admitting that we don't have faith in God taking care of our future. Jonathan was able and willing to operate in the realm of uncertainty. He says to his armor bearer, come, let's go over to that outpost with those uncircumcised fellows, those pagans. And then he says, perhaps, perhaps, the Lord will act in our behalf. He understood that not everything was guaranteed. There are some things we can know and some things we will not know. He went on to say, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. What he knew for certain was that God was powerful enough to get the job done. It didn't matter if it was two against a thousand. The odds are irrelevant to God. And Jonathan had an unwavering confidence in God's capacity. His focus was not, what is God's will for my life? Instead, it's how can I give my life to fulfill God's will? The Jonathan factor is when, is when we have absolute confidence in God in the midst of uncertainty. And we only need to know when we need to know. And it's not just for leaders on this. Imagine if you were Jonathan's armor bearer. He agreed to go on this trip. Imagine if if Jonathan comes and wakes you up and says, you know, I want you to follow me through the cliffs and, and this is all for the purpose of engaging the Philistines in battle. And then he explains to you that his best hope is that God might help. I think if that had been me, I would say, Look, I'm going back to sleep. You wake me up when you're sure about this thing. (laughs) We might think that provision precedes vision. You know, we're provided everything we need, and then comes the vision. But that builds a no-risk faith. The reality, as well as the adventure, is that vision always precedes provision. When you move with God, He shows up. But it just... It's difficult to predict what he's going to do or how he's going to do it. In the need-to-know relationship with God, one of the wonderful things about living in the realm of uncertainty is that you find the journey with God is full of surprises. If we wait until everything falls into place without any surprises, well, divine moments wouldn't have much excitement in them. Yet we seem to prefer nothing that would require a miracle from God. Did you ever think about that? We prefer to be in a situation where we don't need the miracle. We all want miracles. We all say we need a miracle. We need a miracle. But then we spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen. Let me say that again. Let that sink in. We want miracles... Then we spend our entire lives trying to avoid the context in which miracles happen. Now before you think we're getting away from the vast amount of everyday moments, let me remind you about that word atomus. It's the Greek origin of the word moment. Moments are as common as atoms, and not every divine moment includes a spine tingling miracle. But every moment is filled with divine purpose. So let's take a little time to talk about how faith interacts with our uncertainty. Faith has two dimensions. There's two dimensions to faith. Let's read from Hebrews chapter 11. It says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So there's a whole bunch of people listed after that that were commended for their faith. They had great faith. They believed God for everything He promised. So it's important to note what God does promise and what He doesn't promise. He promises we can be certain about who He is, and we can be certain about our relationship with Him. But the journey is full of uncertainties. Let's talk about the first dimension of faith. First dimension faith is when we step out into an area of trust, trust in God, outside of our experience. The challenge set before us is clearly in the realm of possibilities because it's something he's done before in the lives of others. Sometimes it's as practical as God calling us out of our comfort zone. It's not that it hasn't been done, it's just that we haven't done it. Take, for example, Samson, when he killed 300 soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. That's been done, it's been recorded, all right? If God asked me to do that, it would take faith for me to do that. Not because God's never done that before, but I've never done that before. That would be a doozy. (laughs) You ever tried that? Where do you find a jawbone from a donkey? Most of life's challenges are first-dimensional faith. Most of them. Trusting God with our relationships, our finances, our careers, making decisions based on His character. It's about trusting His character and God testing our character. That's why you can't speak about faith without talking about obedience You have to do something. God calls you to do something, you do it. It's about what God says coupled with what we do. Now, here's a problem. The assumption is that we need to have more faith to have greater results. That's what we assume. Well, my faith just wasn't big enough. But Jesus says this. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest seed in the garden, you can move mountains. Huge things. He wasn't saying we need more faith. He was pointing out that very little faith can have huge results. First dimension faith is about obeying what God has already spoken. Like the apostles in the book of Acts, we ask God to give us courage to do what we already know. You know what's right, you know what's wrong. It's so obvious in some cases, so we just need to do it. This hall of faith, this list of people in Hebrews 11, is a list of people who heard God tell them something, and then they did it. Abraham was told to leave his hometown, and he didn't know where he was going. A minor detail God decided to leave out. (laughs) This was exactly the same with Jonathan. He knew God called him to be a warrior against the Philistine oppression. But what Jonathan didn't know was everything else. Everything else. Now this is another wonderful thing about the realm of uncertainty. It's the setting where God invites us to be creative. When God told Gideon to stop the Midianites from ravaging his nation with just a 300-man army. He needed to be convinced. Gideon put out the fleece. Remember that story? God, if you make the fleece wet and the ground dry, I'll believe you. He does that. Okay, if you make the fleece wet and the ground dry, I'll believe you. He does that. He's still nervous, and and God says, go down to the camp and eavesdrop. And they're all talking about how scared they are of Gideon and his great army. But then, God was silent. He didn't tell Gideon what to do next or how to do it. So Gideon turned his army into musicians. They held torches in their left hand and they blew trumpets in their right hand. And for special effects, they smashed jars on the ground. Huh. The Midianites went nuts. They turned on each other And that allowed Gideon to win the fight. Now, if that's not creativity in the context of uncertainty, I don't know what would be. That's pretty creative. Don't look for God to fill in all the blanks, don't wait for Him to remove all the uncertainty. First dimension faith is not only about trusting God's character but also about transforming our character. All too often, we compromise character to avoid the unwanted consequences. Remember, he uses ordinary, even mundane moments of life, and then he helps us achieve extraordinary results. So in first dimension faith, God may challenge us to journey outside of our experience, However, second dimension faith takes us outside the explainable. While first dimension faith sees realities in the realm of possibilities, second dimension faith sees realities in the realm of impossibilities. When we take on a God-sized challenge, self-sufficiency is irrelevant. What you've got inside of yourself is totally irrelevant when it comes to second dimension faith. The Bible teaches that everything is possible with God. Another way to say it is there are many things that are completely impossible unless God is in it. Here's an illustration. There's a church in Georgia that I remember saying this. That they had a little motto. It said, this or let's do something so big... That it's doomed to fail unless God's in it. Let's do something so big that's doomed to fail unless God's in it. When the impossible occurs and there's really no human explanation, all we can do is point to God's intervention. You know how that goes, it happens all the time in hospitals. The doctors, oh, I just can't explain this. Yesterday the cancer was here and today it's gone. I can't. Ex- it must be a miracle. It must be God. It's, you can't help but point to God. Daniel would not pray to the, the Babylonian king, Darius. He, he refused to pray. It was against the law to not pray to him. Instead, he got down on his knees three times a day to pray to God in front of an open window. That was first dimension faith. When he was caught doing this, he was thrown into the lion's den. And God stepped in to save Daniel. That was second dimension faith. Now watch this. There would have been no need for second dimension faith in Daniel's life if he had not been faithful with first dimension faith. See, we search for ways to access the the second dimension without having to embrace the first but they are usually inseparable you've got to have one with the other so we have this relationship with god that it's on a need to know basis and we have the two dimensions of faith so my third point is a question how clear are you this is all about confidence how clear Andy Stanley says, my enemy is not uncertainty. It's not even my responsibility to remove the uncertainty. It's my responsibility to bring clarity in the midst of uncertainty. To follow Jesus is to enter the unknown. It is. Now, you've heard me say that it's not just blind faith. I believe in Jesus for some really concrete reasons. There's some great evidence out there. But a lot of it is unknown. A lot of our journey is unknown. To follow Jesus is to relinquish security. You've got to kind of surrender, give it up. To follow Jesus is to exchange certainty for confidence in him. You know, so many of us want every detail laid out. I, I know a guy who I, I was working on and working on and working on to come to Christ, and, and he finally said, David, you know, if I wanted to play baseball, I would need to understand all the rules first before I wanted to go out on the field and play baseball. That's why I haven't come to Christ yet. And I said, that's a bunch of BS. How many people know every rule to baseball before they get out on the field and play baseball? I I know people who've been playing for years and they still don't know all the rules. Look, the beginning point of our spiritual journey is very concrete. We say yes to Jesus, He enters our lives, He becomes our forgiver, He becomes our leader. The ending point has a solid foundation. And we're told the end of the story. Jesus wins and we are victorious with him. But even though the beginning point and the final conclusion are certain, the middle can be full of turbulence and instability. To move with God is not to find a way of escape from the hardships of life. Being clear that God will work his victory out in your life is not a guarantee of a safe journey it's not that secure to seize divine moments we must treasure the invitation to join God these moments can be fully grasped only when one moment with God is worth more than eternity without him this is one more wonderful thing about living in the realm of uncertainty. We learn that divine moments change not only the content of our lives, but also the value of a single moment. A single moment can have so much significance. The difference between Jonathan and too many of us is that he had no idea whether God would act on his behalf He just knew who God was. He knew God. There's only one who is certain. Everything else exists in the realm of uncertainty. To place our trust in anything other than God is nothing more than superstition. When Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were being thrown into the fiery furnace... They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king, but even if he does not, uncertainty, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your God's clarity. Jonathan. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Clarity. He said that to the armor bearer. Then he said, "Perhaps the Lord will help us." Uncertainty. For nothing can hinder the Lord. Clarity. Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and Jonathan. They didn't know how God would act on in their behalf in their situations. They just knew who God was and what he was capable of. The Jonathan factor moves us confidently forward into the future when we know we don't know everything. It's no coincidence that Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, wrote more about seeking counsel and clarity than any other biblical writer. And you would think if anyone was certain of the details of his mission, it would be the Apostle Paul, Yet he was as uncertain as anyone. Listen to this. This is in the book of Acts. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. The Holy Spirit kept them from there. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Jesus kept them from going in there. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia. He was standing begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit stops them in one place. The Spirit of Jesus stops them in another. God gives a vision and says, go here. This is telling us that Paul had no idea where he was supposed to go. And it took the entire Trinity to keep him from going the wrong way and go the right way. But Paul was clear on his mission. He was clear on what God wanted him to do and and who God was. He, He was supposed to preach the gospel. He just didn't know all the details. And when we have that kind of clarity, we're okay with the blanks being filled in as we go, filled in by God when he wants to show us. I can't think of a more uncertain time than the Last Supper with Jesus. By the way, next Sunday we're going to be doing communion together at both services. But at the Last Supper, Jesus said, Let me, the Son of God, stoop to wash your feet. He said, The greatest among you will become the least. One of you will betray me. He says, oh, Peter, by the way, before you get a little too cocky about that, you're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows. He said, I won't drink this cup again until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. The disciples at that time had no idea what was going on. I mean, would you have? What is he talking about? But Jesus showed complete confidence and spoke in a way that, that kept them glued to his every word. Now, Jesus, even Jesus, didn't have complete certainty. Because this happened, this last supper happened before he went to the garden and prayed, Father, if, oh, Jesus need to bring up an if. If this cup can pass from me, that would be really cool nonetheless, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. But Jesus spoke with that confidence. He was so confident that that he was going to the cross. Now, here we are, as a case in point, we have these words meticulously preserved. That's clarity during uncertainty. So what's the conclusion of all this? It may not really help too much as far as our feelings go. So what is it? I think we just have to work at avoiding temptations to have to know everything. That's a temptation. But God, I can't make a move. I'm not real clear yet. I'm not real sure. You know, I wasn't real sure that Joshua should come up here and give those announcements that was scary for me. <laughs> but you did okay. Good job, Josh. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so here's the deal I don't want anybody to walk out of here today feeling scared about your uncertain future or your uncertain decision or what, whatever's coming up. So, I'm going to ask that you would come forward for prayer. If you have something that's just really on you, it's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to be scared, but some people just would like a little prayer for that. So I'm going to give an invitation for that. As people are dismissed, you can just come up, and I'll be here, and um, some elders are here that can come up and help pray. We'll just do it down front. But uh, let's learn to live in that realm of uncertainty. And still have good faith and avoid that temptation to have to know every little detail. Let's pray. Father God, I just am flooded with all the uncertainty that that hits us from time to time. Like how is this church service going to come out? How is this message going to work? Uh, How how is my life going to work? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen in an hour? But God, I, I can't think of any other fix for that, the fear of that especially, than to just hold on to you, just trust you and get to know you and let the chips fall where they may. Lord, let me have that kind of faith in you that I can trust you no matter what's going on around me. And I'll be quick to give you the thanks, the praise, all the credit for moving me forward in the future, all the way to heaven when I can be with you through eternity. We pray that together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.